the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello and welcome to the Situation Report today. Very glad to have you joining me. This is the show where we do our very best to provide the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stalnecker. I am your host today. And uh, today in this episode, I want to spend a few minutes with you talking about something that's in the news every single day right now. I want to talk to you about the Second Amendment. And of course, when we talk about the Second Amendment, what we're really talking about is our ability as Americans to own firearms. This is has become such a hotly contested issue. It's something that, uh, over the course of my lifetime, has ebbed and flowed. It is an issue that everyone is talking about. Legislation is proposed. Votes take place. And then it seems, just as quickly as it comes in, to move off the scene until something uh, very, very bad happens again. And one of the bad things that's happened over the last several weeks is a series of shootings... Um, criminals, crazy people using firearms to take the lives of innocent people in mass. Now, this happens uh, every day in America. We know that uh, many folks are killed with firearms on a regular basis in the United States. But what gets the attention of the public uh, in particular are these mass casualty events. We could talk about what took place in New York, the school shooting in Texas, other shootings that have happened over the last couple of weeks, uh, tremendous loss of life. And these are uh, really incidents. These are events that should get our attention. I believe if you care about life, if you care about um, people, if you care about freedom, if you care about any of the things that all of us would say we care about, then these events should get your attention. On the one hand, or At the top of the list, the number one priority when you are paying attention to these should simply be a heart of compassion. What should you do first? You should be compassionate. It's crazy to me that when we have an event like a school shooting, and this has been in the news, um, folks who were involved in that have even recently testified in front of Congress. Uh, This has propelled the discussion in Congress. It led to some legislation being passed. We'll see what happens uh, as the Senate has to make a decision on that, see where all of that goes. But um, when these events take place, it's crazy to me that often the very first thing that happens is the politicization. That's not an easy word to say. The politicization. People uh, politicizing the deaths, in this case, of very young children. The first conversations are about gun control, whether you're for it or against it, whether you are pro-Second Amendment or not, pro-gun control or not. It seems that often in these tremendous tragedies, the first conversation that people have or want to have is the conversation about gun control. The first response you should have is one of compassion. 
compassion for the loss of life. That, that should break your heart. And children, I don't believe, are inherently more valuable to God than full-grown adults. But there is something that should grab your heart when you learn about the death of a child, a young person who is, in this case, in school. They're learning, they're growing, they're developing, uh, they're being molded. <laughs> In order to grow into an adult, they have their entire life in front of them and uh, things that many of us take for granted like marriage and children of our own and developing a career and being involved in our communities, this taken away from these kids, that should break your heart. The scenes of parents who have found out about the loss of a child, that should absolutely break your heart. Your first response should be a compassion response. I don't have a lot of experience in this area, um, but a number of years ago, there was a college campus shooting in the area that I was actually pastoring a church. And uh, man, I, I will never forget that day. Um, the college was about 45 minutes from where my office was, and I got a call on my cell phone uh, from someone that I knew well. I, I saw the number come up, and I knew who it was, and and I just thought he was calling to check in. He did that often, so I answered that way. Hey, what's going on? And I was his pastor. I was the pastor for their family. And he said, Pastor, uh, something terrible has happened. And he named his sister. He said she was in the school where the shooting took place. And it just happened. The police are here now, but we can't find her. We don't know what happened to her. Can you please come? And so, of course, I did. Immediately jumped in the car, uh, drove to the school, and uh, literally... The scene was under control. There was the police tape around it, a lot of police, and as you can imagine, so many people there. Um, and, and I got there as this was unfolding, uh, told the police officer why I was there, the family name, and uh, he said, oh, you need to come in, sit down with the family. The family was there. They were sitting down. While I was sitting with them, they were told that um, a sister, a daughter, a single mom had lost her life in that shooting. And I, I, I always think about that moment and then the many days and weeks following that when an event like this takes place. It should absolutely break your heart because of the shattered lives that an event like this will leave in its wake. You should be compassionate. That's the first thing that you should do in response to an event like this. Uh, the second thing, I think, then, is to step back and uh, do your best to support those in the community who are dealing with it, if that's not you. Uh, we think about parents, again, as I mentioned, extended family, law enforcement, other people who are dealing with that, our first responders who have to go in and, and really work through everything that took place there. Can you imagine what they're feeling, what they're dealing with? We need to be compassionate toward that. Do what we can to help and to encourage, to be a support. Then we need to step back and ask questions. How did this happen? Why did this happen? How could this have been prevented? A lot of experts have weighed in and will continue to weigh in on not only the event in Texas, but the event in New York, some of the church shootings that have taken place in the last several weeks, uh, other places where this takes place historically or has taken place historically. Experts will weigh in and they'll offer their opinions and talk about what could have been done to prevent what took place. That's a good question to ask. Uh, somewhere down the list should be this discussion about gun control. Um, it's an amazing thing to me, or an interesting thing, I guess not amazing, but an interesting thing to me uh, that we have someone who 
as the days beyond an event like this will unfold, uh, it will be revealed, it always is, that they are deeply disturbed, uh, that they have probably made threats about doing something just like this. There are a lot of issues in their lives and the steps that they took to get here. We'll learn about this person, but typically then we'll overlook that and go to the tool they use to uh, bring this destruction into their communities. But the conversation continues to be had. There will be many, and there certainly have been many in the last several weeks, who have concluded that what needs to be done in response to these events is the elimination of gun rights for Americans, or if not the outright elimination of these rights, and I say rights because they are rights guaranteed in our Constitution, the Second Amendment of our Constitution guarantees these rights. We're going to read that in just a second. If not the outright elimination of these rights, then certainly heavy restrictions of those rights. We are living at a time in our society when we'd rather blame the tool than the one who used the tool to inflict the violence and the murder and the destruction. It's a very strange time in which we live. I want to read in this discussion the Second Amendment to the United States Constitution. Again, I think many people um, argue about the Second Amendment and yet they couldn't quote it to you, which is interesting because it is literally one sentence. (laughs) One sentence. Here's what the Second Amendment to the United States Constitution says. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. Uh, We'll stop there. We'll pause there. Why is the Second Amendment present in our Constitution? Well, we know the amendments were added to the Constitution after the original text was developed, really in an effort to get the states on board for ratifying the Constitution. The Second Amendment to the Constitution, with words like a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, those were added because those who were going to ratify the Constitution, and those who had penned the original words to the Constitution were leaving a society, a cultural environment where there was a dictator, a monarch who controlled every part of their lives. They were not free people. They were subject to the whims and the wills of the leadership, the dictatorship, the monarchy, the king. And so the Second Amendment became very important to them. They believed that a well-regulated militia, that is a military community, a military force, was necessary to the security of a free state. We think of states in terms of the 50 that make up the United States. Uh, They might have said it this way, a free society. This was the country, not the individual states. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. So it's necessary. What does that mean? Well, it means that, and this is the last part, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. There are so many that are trying to get around these very few, very simple words. But there's not a lot of gray area here. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, that is, moved upon. Uh, It's very interesting to me as we read this. 
There are many who are saying, well, we're not trying to take away the rights of American citizens to own firearms. We're simply going to regulate them as much as we can. Uh, let me say regulation in a different way. Use a different word. It means the same. Uh, we just want to infringe upon that right. <laughs> we're not trying to remove it. We just want to infringe on it. We want to move into it. We want to restrict it. Uh, the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution says that the right of the people to keep and bear arms, that is to hold hold firearms to maintain them, to keep them, shall not be infringed. They didn't say it should not be removed. They said it should not be infringed. You can't touch it. The argument has been made again and again that the reason for the Second Amendment was so that uh, the colonials would have what they needed to hunt, to provide food for their families. And although firearms certainly historically have been used to provide food for families, uh, this is very, very clear. This is not complicated. A well-regulated militia, we need a military force that can necessarily provide security to the state, that is our country, and to do that. We don't want to give our military stones to throw. We don't want them to have to uh, use baseball bats or branches off of trees or knives what they need in order to maintain our security and our freedom are arms, firearms. Therefore, it's so important that that right shall not be infringed. Uh, we're going to look at a couple of articles here as we work through this. But again, understand uh, that the individuals writing this knew who they were writing it to. They had come out of or were coming out of a dictatorial community country relationship where they didn't have the opportunity to push back because they didn't have the means by which to do that. Not having the means, they just left the country and started one of their own. But that country wanted them back and came to where they were and they had to defend themselves. They understood how important this was. Having driven off that other country, now being free men, they wanted to maintain that freedom by making sure that the individual citizens had the, the rights and the ability to protect themselves. Gun rights are not about hunting they're not about recreation. They're not about any of the silly things that those who are anti-gun or anti-Second Amendment will propose. They are and have been described as necessary to defend oneself against a dictatorial government. That's it. As you know, our friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Now Mike has done it again by introducing his My Slippers. For a limited time, you will save $90 on a pair of My Slippers. This blowout sale of the year won't last, so order now. Mike has taken two years to develop the My Slippers, and they are designed to wear both indoor and out all day long. Made with MyPillow foam and impact gel to help prevent fatigue, they are also made with quality leather suede. Call 1-800-870-0283, use the promo code SITREP, or go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use promo code SITREP. This offer will not last long, so order now with promo code SITREP at MyPillow.com. I wonder why we see 
and have over the last couple of years so many things happening in other countries where uh, guns are highly regulated, where the government is doing things that we would never see take place in this country, or at least we hope we would never see take place in this country, but they're happening in places where the citizens can't defend themselves. What is the difference? Is it our Constitution? Is it our value of freedom and sovereignty? Or is it the fact that Americans, by and large, have the ability to defend themselves against an irresponsible, overreaching government? I put that on the table. That's something to think about. I believe that the rights protected in the United States Constitution are only available to us and protected for us in perpetuity going on if we maintain the Second Amendment. Because when citizens no longer have the ability to defend themselves, the government has no reason not to do whatever it is it, that is the government, wants to do. We, as the people of the United States, need to have the ability to keep ourselves free. That's my commentary. Let's read what others have said. Uh, One of my favorite authors, a guest on this show often, someone that I look to and uh, really in many ways consider a a mentor. He may not agree with that, but (laughs) I consider him a mentor is uh, David Barton. David Barton, if you're not familiar, is the founder and president of Wall Builders. Wall Builders, an amazing organization uh, that really does what they can to protect our historical context as Americans, to protect documents, to protect um, books, and really a clear understanding of where we came from as Americans, um, and beyond that, to then communicate that to us. Uh, Wall Builders, the organization, has a radio program, Wall Builders Live. And uh, David Barton was recently being interviewed on this show for Wall Builders. And talking about this issue, I'd like to uh, read some of this from a transcript of uh, of that interview. Um, th- they're talking about gun rights <clears throat> and specifically talking about the founders' intent. Go to Wall Builders Live. You can look in their archive. You can find this whole conversation. Um, but David is the one being interviewed, and uh, he's talking about founders' intent. He says, by the way, this is a great question. And to answer the question, let me throw out the caveat that I think it's really important always to go back to original intent. That's a book we wrote years ago, but it still holds true. You go back. So he talks about going back to original intent. And then he clarifies that the original intent of the founders and the Constitution. So they're going back and forth. They're having this conversation. And and David says it's important to go back to the original intent of the Constitution. He goes on, in answering the question of the Second Amendment, I think you have to go back to the original intent of the founders when they wrote that amendment. Now, please, please do not miss this. This is the argument. This is the heart of the whole thing. The argument that is being held on Capitol Hill, the argument that's being held across the country, uh, whether it's on social media or in workplaces or on in family gatherings, it goes back to this. What did the founders mean? And if they could have seen where we are today, would they have still been in favor of the Second Amendment? So David begins with this. He says, we need to go back to the original intent of the founders when they wrote it. What were they uh, doing? Why did they write this? All right. 
He goes on, he says, I think there are some restrictions that they assumed to be in place that are not in place today that I think they would support. All right, now check this out. We just went into some crazy territory here. Half of you just got really upset. The other half said, yes, that's right, red flag laws. They were in t- <laughs> they intended that. Uh, now, he's going to explain this, and I, and I want to work through this with you. He said, again, I think there are some restrictions that they assumed to be in place that are not in place today that I think they would support. So in that sense, I don't think that it's bad to have some restriction. I got to be really careful how I say this because I'm not calling for restrictions on the Second Amendment. So David Barton says, I think the founders would have assumed there were some limitations, but David Barton himself is saying, I'm not calling for uh, limitations. Here's what he goes on to talk about. They started with the foundational assumption that you knew how to use weapons. You had, uh, you had been trained in the use of weapons. You grew, grew up from very, uh, from your youth using weapons. You knew how they were dangerous and where to use them, where not to use, or what silly things were. I mean, if you look for gun accidents in the founding era, there are nearly none you can find. So this is the first thing. Training. He said it's very important and the founders would have assumed that the people they were protecting this right for were people that were trained in the use of firearms. There weren't accidents because they were trained. It's crazy to me, but gun owners, responsible gun owners who have children in their home, responsible gun owners who have children in their home, you can disagree with what I'm about to say if you want to, but I'm going to say it anyhow. Responsible gun owners with children in their home will do what they need to to keep their firearms away from their kids. I agree with that. But they will also teach their children what a firearm is, how it operates, how deadly it can be if it's misused, and the right way to operate that firearm. They'll take them to a place where they can use it, where they can understand it, where they can learn to respect it. And what David is saying here in this interview is that's exactly what happened in the founders' homes. They were teaching their kids. There was uh, this understanding of what it meant. John Quincy Adams says, this is David continuing, because we've been trained with guns from our very youth and we understand it. So today you have a lot of people, so John Quincy Adams said, uh, this is important because we've been trained with guns from our very youth and we understand it. David goes on. So today you got a lot of people going and grabbing guns and buying guns and carrying guns and waving guns around and doing stuff because I have the right to keep and own guns. No, you have a right to be a responsible gun owner. That's what you have. Very, very important point. When we're talking about the Second Amendment, often what will be floated along with the defense of the Second Amendment is what we need is better training for gun owners. What we need is what we had in the 40s and 50s, perhaps even an opportunity for school-age children to learn how to use firearms. They learn to respect those firearms. They understand them. They are responsible gun owners. Uh, There is no mistake, there is no doubt that guns can be very deadly in the wrong hands. So let's treat them that way. Let's understand what they are and let's train 
the interviewer, uh, Tim, which is David's son, says, on the opposite side, too, you have people who are terrified of guns because they've never been around guns and they think this is the most dangerous thing that's ever existed, even though guns are not necessarily the most dangerous thing in the history of humanity. In fact, in the big picture uh, history of humanity, percentages of populations, far greater percentages were killed by things uh, not firearm-related than they were firearms. They go on and they continue to have a conversation about training. Uh, The next thing they talk about is uh, the Second Amendment. Tim goes on, well, under original intent, it's not exactly a violation of the Second Amendment because the Second Amendment was originally uh, written to limit the federal government's role so they could not be abusive in this notion of your God-given right of self-defense. Again, an important point. the, the right to keep and bear arms really is the right to defend yourself. And that is a God-given right. No one here is saying that it's a God-given right to own a firearm, but there certainly is a God-given right to defend oneself. And in the context in which we live, a firearm makes that possible. Um, he says you can still argue that the state or the country or city level, if someone is violating your ability to own a firearm, they're violating your God-given right of self-defense with the greatest tool possible for what we're talking about, and that's a firearm. I think that's original intent. And, man, they discuss so many different things here. Uh, David goes on to talk about the community. He says, to go exactly where you're saying, we've seen codes where they specifically use the words offensive and defensive, and they said you're not to bring weapons into town at all for offensive purposes. In other words, that would be criminal. You are going to bring it and use it for something, but you're allowed to carry weapons for defensive purposes. And that's another one of their original intent type of things. So while I I look at and think, you know, they assumed a certain level of education because we faithfully taught that. We taught that in home. We taught that in schools. We taught that in neighborhoods. You were in a situation back then where that really, uh, you kind of were a community. You were just as liable to address and discipline the children next to you as you were your own kids because you had standards in the community you didn't violate. And so if I needed to yell at your kids and you need to yell at mine, it's okay. But today we don't have that same community common standard. So I think that's the assumption. Again, they go on and on, but the community understood, uh, even in this context, the use of firearms, the safe use of firearms, how to train our children to use firearms. This is so important. Our founders gave us in the Second Amendment this right. What an important right it is. But the assumed intent was that those who owned firearms would be those who respected the firearms, who were trained to use the firearms, who were using them for defensive purposes to be able to enjoy the God-given right of self-defense, this tool, a firearm, allowed them to do that. And then beyond that, they were in a community of people that would keep one another accountable. Uh, This goes back to something that has been said again and again and again and again. (laughs) Uh, But if you are anti-Second Amendment or anti-gun, you refuse to listen to. Something has changed in our culture. There was a time not that long ago where access to guns was much greater than it is today. The laws restricting gun access and gun use were far fewer than they are today. 
there was a time, not, again, not that long ago, where kids in rural schools may have a gun in their car as they went into class because later on in the day they would go home and go hunting or go shooting with their friends. Access to firearms, having firearms around was something that was extremely common, far more common than it is today. But the phenomena of mass shootings is a modern phenomenon, which really begs the question, what has changed? It's not access to firearms because that's been greatly restricted. It must be something culturally. Back to David's point, and this is important. Back to David's point. (laughs) The assumption from our founding fathers was that people who owned firearms would be trained, would understand them, would be held uh, responsible in a community of other people who understood the use of firearms, and they'd be taught to use them in a defensive way. And for generations, that's what has held in the United States. But things have changed. I believe what these shootings that we see from time to time take place in our country really reveal is the breakdown of community, the breakdown of our institutions, the breakdown of our homes, of our families. It's very interesting to me when you look at the profile of these recent shooters. They all had an extremely dysfunctional relationship with their families. That is for a larger discussion, but perhaps it's not the gun that's causing the problems. One of the pushbacks on the use of guns has been this idea that gun owners will say guns save lives, and those who are against guns will say no, they don't. An article found in USA Today entitled, Gun Owners of America, Guns Save Lives Every Day. This is an opinion piece. I want to read part of this to you. A father uses his concealed handgun to stop a mass shooting in a McDonald's in Alabama. A man uses his gun to stop a racist gunman outside of Kentucky Kroger. Guns are being used to save lives every day. But sadly, the only time the national news media want to spend several days covering a firearm story is when the guns are used in a negative way. The well-publicized shootings over the past week are heart-wrenching, but just as we should not punish sober drivers for the actions of a reckless drunk, neither should we demonize firearms or their owners when they are misused by an evil terrorist. We know because of research directed by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention that guns are used 16 to 100 times more often to protect life than to take life. Isn't that crazy? 16 to 100 times more often to protect life than to take life. This means there are a whole lot more gun save lives stories not being reported by USA Today. We celebrate the brave police officers who stopped three active shooters over the past week. But as much as the USA Today editorial board, and again, this is an opinion piece in the USA Today, wants to discount the idea of good guy with a gun, let's not forget that almost 90% of police agree that mass shootings would be reduced or avoided altogether by the presence of legally armed citizens. This is an important point that needs to be made. Now, first of all, whether or not this was true does not change the right ensconced in the Constitution. Uh, We don't have to put these on a scale. 
bad guys versus good guys with guns. We have a protected right given to us. But we understand that when people responsibly own and are effectively able to operate a firearm in protection, defense of themselves and their community, that they can stop those who have ill intent. I don't really like the idea of doing armchair quarterbacking from afar on these events. But how many of these events would have been stopped if only the security in the buildings would be better? Why is it that we don't have these events in federal buildings where there is a single point of entry and where at that single point of entry there's someone with a gun preventing other people with guns from coming in? Why do those shootings not take place there? And yet in our schools where our children are being educated, particularly in the Uvalde, Texas case, there was no physical security, that is doors allowing people in and out. Uh, The doors were not locked. There was not a single entry point. And even if there had been, there wasn't someone there with a firearm who could have stopped this bad guy with a gun who did incredible damage. There are answers to the questions we're having that don't involve taking away a person's right of self-defense. Cultural issues. We need to look at why This is happening. How culture has shifted the role of the family and the community in shaping young people and preventing people from doing this and encouraging people to grow in a way that this would not even be an option. We need to consider those things. We need to understand that there really is a benefit to people who own guns being able to defend themselves and defend others. Simultaneous to the bad news we've had this week, there have been a few good stories of people defending others with the firearm that they possessed. And yet again, as was mentioned in this most recent article in USA Today, that's never mentioned. It doesn't fit the narrative. The question then is, when we hear all of these estimates, all of the statistics around gun violence, what does it all mean? Uh, Another article found in the Liberty Champion, this is actually the Uh, school paper for the Liberty University, a well-written article um, that outlines this. I want to read some of these statistics to you. It's estimated that 1,029,615 individuals use guns every year in self-defense, excluding those in the police force and the military. I mean, get a hold of that number. 1,029,615 individuals use guns every year in self-defense. So when you hear a member of Congress um, crow about loudly this idea that self-defense is rarely, if ever, um, attributed to a gun, it's absolutely ridiculous, over a million people a year. Of those people, 162,000 said they almost certainly would have been killed without their firearm, without their firearm uh, to protect them. 162,000. To put that in perspective, the average homicide gun-related death per year is 11,208. 162,000 people said they would have died if they didn't have their firearm. When annually there are around 12,000 gun-related deaths. The right to self-defense in this nation should never be put in question. Guns save more lives than they take by a staggering amount. I want to read some other things to you. As of 2019, um, 
this is two years old or three years old, there are over 20 million concealed carry permit holders in the United States. The vast majority of those individuals are law-abiding abiding citizens who wish to be able to protect themselves and the ones they love. 20 million concealed carry permit holders in the United States. Uh, I could go on. Other statistics are given. Uh, we understand that when gun violence numbers are given, particularly when they're given as an agenda to restrict your right to own a firearm, uh, they exclude <laughs> the number of suicides. And really, that's what skews the numbers, the number of suicides. That is self-murder using a firearm. Most Firearm-related deaths are attributed to suicide. Someone took their own life. Not these mass casualty events, not these other events that we often point to. We could look to many of our large cities in the United States and understand uh, how many uh, violent acts that weren't mass casualty events take place, and yet we never focus on these areas or these events because they don't play well in the anti-gun rhetoric of our day. Now, I understand fully the visceral and emotional response when we see the news of children who have lost their lives. Remember, I I said at the beginning, the number one response you should have is that of compassion. What an incredible tragedy. It is a tragedy. I believe it's preventable, and I don't think it's preventable by taking away the guns of law-abiding citizens. I think there are other things we could do that could prevent uh, all of these events. And we can argue about those, and we can discuss those, of course. But what we must understand, whether we own a firearm or not, is that our ability to defend our individual sovereignty or liberty is only as good as the tools we have to do that. We can talk about freedom all day long. We can talk about individual liberty all day long. We can go back to the Declaration of Independence and understand uh, that even our founders recognized that our freedom was given by God. It's inalienable. It cannot be taken away. We can talk about that all day long. But if we do not have the ability to defend ourselves whether it be from a criminal that wants to break into our house and take the things that we own, or an overreaching government that wants to violate and bypass uh, those laws and those protections ensconced in the Constitution, if we don't have the ability to protect ourselves, we are not truly free. We have problems as a country. There is no question. So many issues that we need to deal with. I'd recommend dealing with gun violence in major cities across the United States. I'd recommend dealing with the security issues at our, at our school campuses across the United States. No reason schools should not be at least as safe as a federal building. Now, I would argue in many cases what happens in a, an elementary school is far more important than what happens in a government building. There's no reason we should not proactively (laughs) discuss how we as communities can build up the young men who primarily are the perpetrators of these crimes, the young men who do these things. 
We need to take a hard look at our mental health system. We need to ask some real questions, of course. But we need not ever come to the point where we are willing to give up the one thing that guarantees our ability to remain free. In all of this, I would ask you to do one thing. (laughs) I know this is a big ask. Here it is. Think for yourself. Ask the questions that need to be asked. Read what our founders have said. We have access to so much information. Read what our founders said about the Second Amendment. Look to the place where the actual crime takes place, and uh, why don't we then ask how we could stop the perpetrator? Remember that many of the largest mass casualty events in American history uh, didn't happen because of a gun. In one case in Oklahoma, they happened because of a truck that was full of, uh, of uh, fertilizer. In New York, they happened because of planes that were flown into buildings. These were not gun events, and yet many people lost their lives. Let's ask the question how we can uh, train young people to understand guns, where we can make sure that those who own them are well-trained and capable of handling them the way they should, and how we can be the communities that keep each other responsible, accountable, and safe. Personally, I'm so thankful for the Second Amendment and all of the rhetoric and screaming and theatrics aside, we need to do what we can to protect it. We can have discussions about these other issues, of course. Given more time, we could talk about some of them and maybe we will in the future. But we need to refuse to give up our God-given right of self-defense and the tools that allow us to maintain that right. I hope that that is a help to you. Again, you may disagree with me. Um, You're listening. You're probably smarter than me, so you figure some of this stuff out. Uh, This has to be discussed, and it has to be discussed in a rational way that allows us to make good decisions. People are trying to take away our rights, and they're doing it. When this one goes... A lot of the other ones will go very, very shortly after. This is what we have that keeps those who would impose their will on us away. Don't give it up. Appreciate you listening. If you are not yet subscribed to the show, make sure that you are subscribed. That would be fantastic on your favorite podcast platform, of course. Go over to YouTube. You can find our channel there, The Situation Report. YouTube, search for Situation Report. You'll find it. Subscribe. Hit the notification bell. Leave us a comment. uh, Send us a message. Would love to get that from you. Again, appreciate you, and we will talk to you next time.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.